I trust that you're enjoying the seasons. Fall is my favorite season, and I just told somebody recently that as soon as those trees get to the most perfect color, it seems like we get a heavy wind that comes along, or else a rain, and it takes away from a bit of that. But there is no doubt that we can see God's beauty and God's uh, wonderful creative hand when we look at nature around us. So I hopefully that you're not, you're not missing that, but you are seeing what God does through nature. And then also seeing what God does in your individual life. Hopefully you're looking for those God stories that we talk about here every once in a while and uh, seeing what God is doing in your life so you can share it with others. That's the real God that we need to know. I'd like for us to pray one more time before we open God's word. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we would come with an expectation that the Trinity would be involved here as we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus Christ when he walked here on this earth and and talk about his sacrifice on the cross. As we look to you, God the Father, one who hears our prayers, one who has given us so many wonderful promises, and you cannot lie, we thank you for that. And for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our teacher, I would ask that the Holy Spirit would be clearly involved in doing wonderful things um, as we open your word today as we have an expectation that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. I would pray that you'd help me not to get in the way, not to say anything that I'm not supposed to, but God clearly allow me to teach what the Word of God says so that we can apply it to our lives, so that we can shine bright as lights in this world. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to let you know right off the bat today that the passage we're going to be talking about is a little bit easier for you than the one we had last week. Um, It's a little bit harder for me or for the individuals that would stand up and teach the Word of God. A good test for a teacher or a preacher is when they will talk to somebody within a few days or maybe a week later, later about what they taught. Oftentimes people remember an illustration that was given in a sermon. But the real test is, did they know why that illustration was given? I found myself uh, working with the young people on Wednesday night in Awana not too long ago, and it's a much shorter time that is given there to uh, work with uh, the teaching, the lessons. And as I was going through, I looked at the clock, and my time was more than halfway over, and I was still on the opening part. Hadn't even got to a Bible verse yet. And I was on the hook, drawing to, trying to keep the attention of these 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds. Have you ever tried to do that? Keep the attention of a 10-year-old these days? Very, very difficult. But I found myself almost out of time because I didn't plan very well. It is true that as we started in Matthew chapter 7, it says, judge not lest ye be judged, but I understand very much so that the people who are showing up at church are judging somewhat what's going on when the word of God is opened. And maybe you have something that you really enjoy, a style of preaching that you like. Maybe there's some things that you would like more, some things that you would like less. Let me tell you about an instance when I heard a preacher, and I will never forget what happened before he got to his sermon. I tell you that you need to have some warning flags going up, a red flag going up if you hear something that would maybe, um, uh, you would sense some danger coming. I grew up hearing a phrase like, before we had the Bible teaching, a phrase like, open your Bibles, 
Open your Bibles too. That was the first thing that I oftentimes heard when we were having Bible preaching. Open your Bibles. So imagine my warning flag that went up when I was in Bible college and the speaker who was speaking for a full week preaching, the first thing he said when he got up to preach was to all these students and all these teachers, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to close it and I want you to put it underneath your chair before we get started. Well, for some of you, your, your red flag is going up, right? What are we about to get into here? Can't you prove what you're about to say from God's word? He had good reason for why what he did because for the next 25 to 30 minutes, what he did was he had put together a sermon that was completely scripture and nothing else. I remember he started with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he went right to John where it said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he quoted 25 to 30 minutes of straight Scripture. And obviously, we could have never kept up and turned and waited for that passage. It was a masterful sermon. It was wonderful. And his ability to memorize Scripture is something that many people talk about. So I had my alert go up, but he wasn't doing anything that he wasn't supposed to do. I want to suggest to you today that you need to have your red flag go up sometimes. Just because someone stands as a teacher before you does not mean that you should accept what is being said. So a key phrase like open your Bible should be very familiar to you. And I listen to Bible preaching many, many hours a week. and Bible teaching a lot. And so I have certain phrases that I will pick up on. And what I'm going to do here in the first part is I'm going to share a little bit with you about what I do to develop my sermons. And I'm not doing that because I want to work myself out of a job because likely some of you could do it better than I do, no doubt. Having said that, you need to know what to look for when someone is standing up and is teaching the message from God's Word. And the reason is, is because as we're going to get to in our text in a little bit, is Jesus Christ is giving a warning about people who would have a false message. They would say, God has told me something when God actually did not say it. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about something that I'm very comfortable with as I work hard to communicate the Word of God. Here are a few different things that I I literally think about every time I put a message together. First of all, my goal A goal of a good Bible teacher is going to be when the people walk away, they have an understanding of what the Word of God said, whatever section that was. So if that's one verse, you should walk away, and people shouldn't have 50 different ideas about what was taught that day. That verse should have some clarity to it, and the Word of God should have been taught in that place, even if it's 20 verses There should be a common understanding of what that means. So the goal that we have when you walk away from a Bible lesson or a Bible or Bible preaching is that you have an understanding of what that text was. I did that this past Friday. As I got done with uh, my notes and I walked through and I read through the verses we were going to cover and I said, am I missing anything? Is there anything confusing? So that should be a goal. 
Another uh, tool that a speaker can use, and not everybody uses these, but sometimes we'll use something called a hook. For those of you who are involved in teaching, you understand that just to jump right into the bulk of your main lesson, you might lose some people. But if you can use a hook, which is a hook to get the people's um, attention, that can be very, very helpful. Sometimes it's colorful. For you, I mentioned earlier um, uh, what stands out to you in a sermon, in a sermon that something jumped out to me that I'll never forget. He said, take your Bible and put it underneath your chair before he preached. I think he knew how a lot of people were going to respond to that. So we will use a hook oftentimes to pull the attention in. And the idea there is to hopefully, if you can remember that hook or opening illustration, it's to help you remember what the lesson actually was. Now, something that oftentimes comes at the end of people's teaching and preaching, I put mine oftentimes toward the beginning, is an application. And like I say, I'm with you. I'm judging preaching and teaching all the time. And so when I hear someone preach, and the most important part is the Bible, the verses they're teaching, are we understanding that? But without an application, it's my opinion that that sermon or that lesson is going to fall short. What is, how is this going to change my life? What can I do specifically in my life because of the Word of God that was taught today? And I came across a wonderful saying in one of Chuck Swindoll's books a few years ago, and now I have it at my workstation. And here's what he says about application, this quote in this Swindoll book. Knowledge, apart from application, falls short of God's desire for His children. He wants us to apply what we learn so that we can change and grow. And so the idea is each sermon, each sermon should focus on applying what we are learning as we discover what the Bible says. Now let me give you, I've got on the screen here, you can see behind me, I've got a couple things that might look confusing to me. I actually put these right in my notes. I can show you afterwards where these are right in my notes. And I'll tell you what those little uh, combination of letters stands for at this time. Where it says A-T-T-B-U-T-O-T. That's kind of like open your Bibles. What that is actually for is all that to bring us to our text. So when I hear somebody say all of that to bring us to our text, that should mean that what we've been talking about, that application... We should be able to see that in God's Word. So we're going to get to the Bible. And there's one very gifted speaker that's down south, and he always starts with his application, which was backwards from how I learned it when I was learning Bible college. And then the most important part of the preaching is the exposition. This should be the biggest part. I mentioned a little bit ago when I was teaching our young people, I spent most of my time on the hook, getting their attention, which was about when I went to Taco Bell right? And actually, I talk a bell for them. So if you go to one of those youngsters and say, what was the lesson about that night when Pastor Jeremy got him to teach? You know what they're going to say? I got a, yeah, Taco Bell. I got a free taco. They should get a cheesy roll-up. We gave one to each of them. So I had an opportunity to teach the following week after that, and I learned. And I spent three minutes getting their attention and the rest of the time focusing on what the Bible says. The exposition And that's one of those preaching words, explaining what the text means. This is the largest and typically the most important section. And then I usually close with what can you do, specific applications. 
All right. There are different preachers with different lifestyle, with different styles of preaching, I should say. Some preach using notes. Some get so good that don't, they don't have to use notes. Some will use visual aids like a, like a PowerPoint display or else a handout. Some will do very interesting object lessons which holds your attention. Some of you can remember when I had a, a board up here and was swinging it around like I had a board in my eye as opposed to a splinter. And hopefully you can remember the application of that, what we were talking about. Okay, are you ready? What we'll see in God's Word today, look on the screen there, WWSI, capital G, capital W, T-I. What we'll see in God's Word today is, is that Satan has taken everything that God has given us. Satan has taken everything good from God and he has managed to make a counterfeit. Do you believe that? He's paying attention. He sees every good thing, including marriage, including homes, including teaching of the Bible. He's taken every good thing that God has given us and Satan has made a counterfeit of that. That includes teachers in the church today. And today we're going to look at and give some practical tools for how to spot a false teacher or a false prophet. And we're going to use those words interchangeably a little bit. Okay, all that to bring us to our text. Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7. Your Bible might be falling open to Matthew 7 by now. We're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to go a different direction after that. And I am so, so comfortable in, in um, teaching the words of Jesus Christ, and it's so sweet and special, those words that are in red letter oftentimes in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. You'll remember that last time we talked about two gates and two roads. So if you go through the narrow gate, you're on the narrow road, and the destination is heaven. If you go through the wide gate, which is easy peasy, then you're on the wide road, which you can bring everything along with you, all your baggage and luggage and anything you want, then your destination is destruction, a place called hell. Next time is going to be difficult. So I'm preaching to myself today as a teacher, as a preacher, so you guys can say, about time you got yours, mister. Next time, we're going to talk about a difficult subject, and that's when people who thought they knew Jesus Christ, not who people thought they were good enough to go to heaven, people who thought they knew Jesus Christ actually did not. They were self-deceived. Let's read through starting in verse 15 of Matthew 7, and we'll go down through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So what we find here, brothers and sisters, is a warning. Are you catching this warning? Now, I say it's oftentimes for the teacher, for the preacher, 
But there's going to be an expectation that those are listening to the message, that they have that red flag go up, that they are able to recognize. And sometimes it does take time. Sometimes you've got to see what a person's pattern is. I'm going to break this into four sections. The longest section is the last one, number four. So number one, what is a, what a true prophet looked like before Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ here talks about false prophets as he teaches. And we know there were true prophets. There were good prophets. So let's define first what is a prophet. A prophet is a person who is acting as a mouthpiece for God. So ultimately, they were either writing down something that God told them to write down, or else they were speaking something that God told them to speak. This is before they had the Bible as we know it today. And a prophet would, as an individual, oftentimes have to stand as one who was a voice of reason to tell people what the message of God was. So what was a true prophet in Jesus' day or before Jesus? They would speak that which God gave to them. It was something supernatural that was going on. Prophets were given a glimpse from God, oftentimes into the future, and that's what's exciting. That's what's fun about that. And oftentimes they would prove themselves as a prophet by something they said coming true. But let me also say this before we move on to what a false prophet looked like. Oftentimes, the prophet in Jesus' day or before Jesus not only would tell about something that was yet to happen, but more than that, which honestly, it's not as exciting, but more than that, the true prophet would tell what God had already said in his word. Does that make sense? God had, they had, most of the time, they had, you know, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and they would be saying what God has already said. And obviously, anything new, a new revelation given to them, had to match up with what God had already said. So they would be both, here's two ways of remembering it, remembering it. They would be both foretelling, telling the future, something God said regarding his people, or forth-telling. They are telling what the word of God that they already had said. All right, next, what did a false prophet look like? A false prophet. And that's the verbiage that Jesus uses here. What's a false prophet? Jeremiah chapter 8 verses 11 says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly or superficially, one, verse says, one version says. Saying, here's two key words, peace, peace, is no peace. So understand that, and I think that's safe to apply those words, peace, peace, today. The false prophet back in Jesus' day would say, I have the information from God. You're good to go to war. I have the information from you, O king. We are good to move forward in this direction. Peace, peace, they would say. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but oftentimes a false prophet in our day today will give that same message. You're good enough. All is well. Relax. Now, in the Old Testament days, they relied heavily on those prophets. 
And, we're, and we'll look at one example of that. Um, I'm going to give you the reference. I want you to write it down and come back to it. And my hope is, is for the rest of your life, when you go over this section of First Chron- or Second Chronicles, that it will jump off the page to you. Let me give one illustration um, of this. In Second Chronicles 18, write down that reference, Second Chronicles 18. We have the story of two kings. This is after Israel had been divided. You remember the divide of Israel? You've got the southern two kingdoms of Judah. You've got the ten northern kingdoms that is called Israel. And we've got Jehoshaphat up top. We've got Ahab down low. And they need to get together. They need to join their armies together and go to war. Ahab had lots of prophets, most of them false prophets. And Jehoshaphat says, it's hard to say, Jehoshaphat says, Jehoshaphat says, can we consult some prophets who are going to give us a word from God before we go to war? Ahab says, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. So they go to 400 false prophets and they say, should we go to war? There were two words that were repeated that I gave you a little bit ago for a false prophet. Do you remember what they were? It was peace, peace. These 400 prophets, false prophets, said, hey, green light, you are good to go. Go for it. I'm not sure why it happens, but Jehoshaphat hears all this. I'm not sure if he was suspicious or leery of going to war, but Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, wicked Ahab, Is there another prophet that we can talk to and get a second opinion about this? And here's what Ahab says to Jehoshaphat. Well, yeah, there there is a prophet. I got him in jail right now. I don't want to hear what he says because he always says things that are against what I want to do. So yeah, there is somebody else we can ask, but I'm afraid he's going to tell us what we don't want to hear. Now, there's a lesson right there that I wasn't even planning. Have you ever gone to seek counsel and you kept talking to people until you found somebody that told you what you wanted to hear, those are not your real friends that are telling you what you want to hear. These false prophets were in it for the money. They were in it for their lifestyle. And they were wrong. They were wicked. Well, Ahab says, yeah, I got a guy. His name is Micaiah. Let me get him out of jail. But you might not like what you hear, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat. And so they bring him out of jail. Now, this is a confusing part of the story. I haven't gotten my finger on this yet. When Micaiah is taken out of jail, he's told the whole thing. He is told, these prophets have all said, peace, peace, green light, go to war. Micaiah, the, the guys who get him out of jail say this in Second Chronicles 18. Micaiah, if you will just say green light, Tell them what they want to hear. You can get out of jail. Look at the benefit from this here. And here's what's confusing, because when Micaiah goes before the two kings, you know what his first response is? He says, peace, peace, green light, is what he says. Ahab maybe made a face, and he says, you tell me, prophet of God, exactly and only what God told you. And then Micaiah gives the real interpretation. And it was this. Ahab, you are going to die on the very day that you go to war. You will lose the one true prophet 
who said what God said, tells Ahab, you're going to die. Can you guess what Ahab's response was? Back to jail with him, is what he said. I told you, Jehoshaphat. He never tells us what we want to hear. They ignored the counsel of the good prophet. They went to jail. Ahab died that day. So they knew what a false prophet was in Jesus' day. The false prophet would give guidance to God's people under the pretense that it was something supernatural that they were saying when God didn't actually say it. All right, let's fast forward to after the time of Jesus or the beginning of the church. What a true prophet looks like today. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because this word is, is confusing somewhat in churches. The Old Testament prophets would oftentimes foretell what God had already said. So we do use the word prophet somewhat in that way for people who would stand in a position like I have and teach. But it can be confusing because there's no new revelation that I am getting that, that you're not. This past time when I was preparing to preach, God did not, while the Holy Spirit's leading, but God did not give me something that he's never given to man before. What is the foundation for me forth-telling this message today? Can you hold it up if you've got it? What is it? It's the Word of God. So you have an expectation that you know this book and that what is being said is actually what is said in God's Word. So the word prophet has an extended meaning. I would take it from being a capital P to a lowercase p. It's not speaking new revelation, but a proclaiming of what God has already said in his word. So in a sense, I, or a preacher, would be a prophet who stands and preaches, not new revelation, but the word of God. Now I will say this, I think there's an application to leadership here, and I'm going to give a challenge at the end with what can you do for some of you to take the challenge to teach the word of God. And that is not to be taken lightly. And in addition to that, a church is only going to grow so much with a small amount of people teaching the Word of God. So be ready for that challenge. It talks about leadership, someone who has influence. Okay, let's talk about this last one, and this will be the bulk of our time. What a false prophet looks like today. What does a false prophet look like today? I want to ask you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 2, I'll reference a couple verses from there. It's also a good place if you write in your Bible to write false prophet or beware with an exclamation point. 2 Peter chapter 2, while you're turning there, let me tell you what I believe the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 when he said this about false prophets and about the church. Okay, is anybody scared? Nobody looks scared, and that's fine. I want you to, I want, this is a safe place, right? Having said that, what we're getting into now is what a false prophet looks like in our day. I'm telling you the challenge for the speaker, the preacher, but you need to very much so know your responsibility of recognizing that. And Paul says, let me read it for you. You can write down the reference if you want to come back to it. Paul says in Acts 20, 29, and 30, I know, he's speaking to a church, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Are you scared yet? 
Because we have a church family. Paul is saying in this church where they were all first-generation Christians, man, they were on fire for God. He says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That is the people of the church. And from among your own selves, Paul says, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. We're going to see some red flags to watch out for, and that really points to one of them. They are drawing people to follow after them, not after the preeminence of Jesus Christ in the church. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2, look at the first verse. But false prophets also arose among the people, Peter writes, just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So what does a false prophet or a false teacher look like today? Peter bridges this from the Old Testament prophet to one who sneaks in the church. And I don't think anybody sneaks in for a few weeks and has this effect. Because the definition of a leader is someone who is being followed. So when someone's new, people aren't following them. It's even fair to say that somewhat about a pastor. A pastor might have a leadership position by something that he was given or obtained, but individuals who have influence over others, they are the leaders. And so when someone starts to have influence, they might even start out as good. But sometimes there can be that, are you ready? That taste of power, that taste of control, and that sin of pride that can sneak in. And when someone has influence, they might say, you know what? Not getting my way around here. Or I don't like this. And they might take a group of people and divide. But he says here heresies that are being taught. So let's look at some of the fruits of a false teacher. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three. Here's the first one. They're not on the screen, so you're going to have to listen. The fruit of a false teacher is that they are motivated by greed. You need to have a warning flag go up if there is a teacher, and after a while of observing them, or a leader who teaches... After a while of observing them, you see that they are motivated by greed. Look at the third verse of 2 Timothy 2. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And some of this is subjective, so be very, very careful. And by the way, be guarded against calling somebody a false teacher or a false prophet. Be confident. Don't be alone. If there are people that know the Word of God and love God and are part of a church and they all disagree with you, perhaps take the wisdom of Proverbs that surround yourself with a multitude of counselors personally. Be very, very careful calling someone a false prophet. But here are some things that you might see in them. They are never, they never find satisfaction in the temporal things of the world. They always want more. They always want more money. 
They always want more power. They always want more influence. They never find satisfaction in the temporal riches of this world, constantly wanting more and more. Sometimes this will look like an extravagant lifestyle. That's tricky. That's going to be subjective, so be careful. Oftentimes this will look like arrogance. Arrogance in how they carry themselves. If you're looking for a false teacher, false prophet, one sign that you will see oftentimes is they always want to be served. Everybody else serving them, not to serve. And what is the example that the Lord Jesus taught to the twelve? He that is great among you will be the least. And we all remember that vivid story if you've read through the New Testament of Jesus Christ taking the towel, wrapping it around himself and washing the disciples' feet. A sign of a false teacher is they always want to be served. That is the opposite of what our Lord taught us. Second thing you can watch out for is the fruit of a false teacher is they often attack three areas. And we gave a handout with this not too long ago. Three key doctrinal areas. The work of Jesus Christ in salvation, the person of Jesus Christ, in that he is 100% God, 100% man. And if that's new to you, you're saying that's impossible. And I'm saying, I know, but we accept it by faith. 100% God, 100% man. The false prophet will attack that or else he will attack God's word himself. We need to have Another testament for today. Something added to the 66 books of the word of God. Those three areas are oftentimes attacked. The person of Jesus, the work of Jesus for salvation, and the word of God that we have. And so be on guard if you hear someone teaching anything that equates to the importance of Jesus Christ. Have you caught on that the strategy of the devil is not to say, forget about Jesus Christ. Forget about it. Because what would all of you do? You'd have your red flag going up, right? If you take time to read through the book of Colossae, that book was written to that, or Colossians, was written to the church at Colossae because someone had snuck in. And they didn't try to throw Jesus out. They tried to tell the people, Jesus is wonderful. He is great. We have to have him. And there is something else that is just as important as Jesus. And the theme behind the book of Colossians is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And so if you spot someone trying to equate anything to Jesus or to the work of Jesus, you should have a red flag go up. If you find someone that is trying to, that is teaching from more, from something other than the Bible most of the time, you know, I had somebody come to me in the past couple months and speak some pretty serious words to me here in the church. They've started attending in the past six months and they said this to me. They said, you teach the word of God and that's the reason why I want to come here to this church. And if you ever stop teaching the word of God, I'll be out the door. And I welcome the accountability. You look, and when you walk away, was that taught? Have I been taught the word of God today? Is that what Jesus actually meant? 
Or are we spending the bulk majority of our time on something different than that? And many false teachers have known that they can take John 3.16 and tag it on and then say whatever they want. They'll even give a message that sounds like accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but everything else they talk about seems to be different than the Word of God. Or it's only positive stuff. This is hard stuff. This is difficult stuff. And so you need to measure, have a measuring rod. Anything that adds to the work on the cross, yes, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, ask Him for forgiveness, but then also, if you want to get to heaven, you have to, and you fill in the blank. And this is very tricky. Here's where I struggle with approaching this, because I think that one of the devil's most effective tools to keeping the church from growing I think that one of his most effective tools is division in the church, division over smaller things, lesser things. These folks just can't agree on that, and is it a major? And so the devil oftentimes will get people divided over the color of the carpet, right? Or what your favorite Bible version is, right? Be very, you have to be very shrewd. But pay attention if someone wants to add something to salvation or the importance of the scriptures or Jesus Christ himself. It will appear in the false prophet that they are refusing to make God master in all things and instead want to establish their own kingdom. And that's actually the third thing. False prophets will show fruit of, so this whole passage that Jesus says is look for their fruit. False prophets will show fruit of refusing to make God master in all things. And so if I can use, borrow this expression, when we're talking about someone who had a followship, it might get said, well, it appeared they were trying to build their own kingdom instead of build the kingdom of God. You see, because there's something within man that has an addiction to power, Romans chapter 16 talks about people wanting to satisfy their own appetites or their own bellies, where it says in verse 18 of Romans 16, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We're not talking about people that are not saved here necessarily. There can be some, even here today, that are not followers of Christ. But I think the idea is, and we're going to get into what you can do here, there's a danger for you very much so if you only get 30 minutes of Bible teaching a week. Let's get into three things that you can do. Number one, and it's that one. Number one, go deep into God's Word by increasing your Bible IQ. That's my verbiage increasing your Bible IQ and your understanding of God. And those might seem redundant to you, but I like to separate them. Go deep into God's word by increasing your Bible IQ. This is so you can stand there and judge. Was what he said the word of God or was it contrary? Was it taking us down a road? And oftentimes you won't recognize it right away. Here's with me, and I've been studying the Bible been in ministry for 20 plus years. With me, I'll have a red flag go up, but I can't quite say heretic, but I'll pay attention. Where is this going? 
And so you need to pay attention. Where is this going? And wait a little while and see if the fruit is good or bad. Then number two, what can you do? Go deeper by committing yourself to learn God's word in a, and I put here, small group setting with accountability. So I'm not going to get real specific. We have multiple opportunities here at Calvary, and there are multiple opportunities in your community. But the idea is that last word, accountability. Because if I can be really honest with you guys, if some of you weren't to show up next week, I might not recognize it. I might not know it. I don't take attendance. I kind of do this. I know who sits where, you know. I, I take the mental attendance of who's in their seat. So if you change pews on me, you're going to throw me all off with my mental attendance. Having said that, if you don't show up, I might not know. If a month goes by, maybe I'll know, maybe I won't. But if you have a small group setting where you are in God's Word, so one-on-one discipleship or a Sunday school class where you sit across from somebody and you're connecting, making yourself vulnerable to them, letting them be vulnerable to you, this is important. Go deeper That's an accountability. When you don't show up, they're going to give you a call or text. And then last is answer the call to teach the Bible to others. Answer the call to teach the Bible to others. And I mentioned earlier, this is key to any healthy church. Multiple opportunities. Now, there's an accountability when someone says, I will teach the Word of God. There's a standard that you're going to be held to, and God's Word talks about the seriousness of that. But don't let that scare you off. Some of you might not even know how well you can teach the Word of God until you get involved. It might be with adults. It might be with children. It might be with those teenagers. Bless your heart if you do that. We need people teaching the Word of God in our church. So we're going to sing a song in just a moment that talks about the importance of God's Word. But before we do, I want to mention one uh, one illustration, one closing thought. And it's the legend of the Pied Piper. How many of you here are familiar with the Pied Piper? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you here think that the legend of the Pied Piper is either based on a true story or is a true story? Raise your hand. I'm looking to see one, two. All right, okay, good. It was kind of a trick question. So the Pied Piper, if you research this, actually goes back to the city of Hamlin, And it's an interesting story when you look at it. Of course, Disney redid this story, and they gave this with this guy playing a magic flute, and all the kids go off into a Candyland-type place, and he keeps them forever because he was done wrong by the people of the town. I will tell you, if you raised your hand saying the Pied Piper story is based on a true story, you were right. Now, there's no magic flute, all right? It's based on a true story. The one thing, if you trace this back and look at all the different accounts of this, and you've got to go all the way back to 1284 A.D., 1284 A.D. in the town of Hamlin, and we don't know exactly what happened. We're not sure if there were rats there or not, which is the centerpiece of the Disney story. But the roots of it go back to 1284 A.D., and when you go back to that town's records, you will find this line. There is a line in their town's records that says it has been, well, this is in 1384 actually, it says it has been 100 years since our children left. And then in addition to that, they have a stained glass window in one of the churches that was made back in those days that had all the children following somebody away from 
the town. So it's based on a true story. We are familiar with the Pied Piper, this gentleman who takes on the task of getting rid of all the rats out of the town and the people refuse to pay him what he was promised so they lock him out. And so as revenge, he plays his flute a second time and this time all the children, all the naive ones follow the Pied Piper. And he takes them away. And actually when you get into Grimm's tales about these, it's not as nice as a candy land that they go to. The point is this. You need to understand that anything good that God has given us, including the teaching of God's word, the devil wants to sneak in and counterfeit it. And that's why oftentimes you'll hear an expectation from me that you are reading these verses for yourself. And I am very open to somebody coming to me and saying, you know, I got something different out of that. Let's talk through that. But beware, because the devil would have you one of those ones who is pulled away somewhere else. And here's, in a major way, what it does. It divides the effectiveness of the church. God wants his local churches all over this world to grow. Jesus Christ speaks to them before the church was established in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, beware of these false teachers. They're going to sneak in. And brothers and sisters, here's what we need. We need people who are willing to know the word of God so they are not deceived. Because here's what's going to happen. The devil, the devil couldn't care less about churches that aren't having an impact for him. That's my personal opinion. Churches where folks aren't getting saved, folks aren't coming to Christ, they're doing just the same old thing. The devil could care less about them. Leave them alone. Keep doing whatever you're doing is what he wants them to do. But when we see folks coming to Jesus Christ, when we see people growing in their walk with Jesus Christ, when we have a missions program and get reports of folks getting saved every month on the other side of the world, and we see your own young people, your own children, deciding to follow Jesus Christ, that's where the devil's going to say, you know what, let's just pepper in somebody and have them teach something that's wrong. He wants you. He wants you to be naive. Preaching to myself today, you can hold me to this. And if I stop preaching the word of God, Godspeed, go somewhere where they preach it. But if I am preaching the word of God, Ask yourself how you can be involved in countering what the devil is guaranteed he's going to try to do to where you can have an impact for a local church to touch lives around the world. Our God is so good to us to give us a plan and to give us warnings. And I hope you're thankful today that you can join together with people that know Jesus Christ and worship and learn from God's word and fellowship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, you know the thoughts and the hearts of everyone hearing my voice. God, I know there are all kinds of distractions and all kinds of um, uh, things that are heavy that would pull people's attention. And I thank you for the warning that your son gave before he left this world. And I thank you for the promise that he would bring the Holy Spirit to convict and to guide 
And God, I would ask that you would allow the folks of our church family to very much so be in tune to what they have and the teaching of the Holy Spirit and to jump in on their own and be involved in a deeper way by joining with a small group and then be involved in an even deeper way than that by taking on that challenge to teach, hold themselves accountable, to stand, accountable, to stand before you someday, God, accountable as a teacher of your word. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, no one looking around, we like to give people a chance to pray. Two things I'm going to ask you to pray about today. First of all, is there a way that maybe you can step up your Bible knowledge, whether it be by personally involved or in some kind of a smaller setting where you're accountable or teaching? Maybe you'll want to pray about that today when we have just a moment of silence. And then also, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. We've not talked about the gospel too much today except for that the devil's going to attack it. And maybe your eyes are being opened today and God is working in your heart and you could understand this message that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Every one of us is a sinner. And Christ died for your sins so that you could have forgiveness and have real purpose in this world. During the quietness of this moment, if you've never prayed that prayer, you can even pray for God to forgive you and make you his child. And the Bible says he will do that. Take just a moment to pray. Father, you are so good. We are so unworthy. And yet you see us as clean because we stand side by side with your son, washed in the blood of the lamb for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we thank you for that. And I praise you for the day that I live in where we have your perfect word. Thank you for the minds that you've given us to study it, for the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for gifted teachers that are all around us. Praise God for those who would dedicate themselves to it. And we thank you, God, for the wonderful blessing it is to know you. And we praise you for using us. And pray, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.